Okay, guys, welcome back to the Cedar and Cypress podcast. I'm Liv. And I'm Allison. Um, we are so excited to be here today, um, as usual. So we are going to talk about something that we've both been wanting to talk about for quite a while now. I am stoked about today's episode. Are you stoked? Yes, I'm so ready. I Yeah, it's going to be a good one, guys. We have a lot to say. It's going to get a little spicy. So bear with us here, but um, we're going to do our best to represent this well. So before we get started with anything, uh, as always, Allison, what was the best part of your week? The best part of my week was getting a project finished for my MBA business planning and launch course. So we had to do a PowerPoint, a business PowerPoint on like a business that you would want to launch. And what you had to do is come up with a pitch kind of like Shark Tank when you have five minutes to present your business idea and then give a call to action to the audience, whether it's your audience's investors or you know, any audience that you would be presenting to. So what I did is create the PowerPoint, you write a script for yourself, and then you got to record the audio files and input them into the PowerPoint and submit that. So I stayed up kind of late on Wednesday night working on that, but I was just really proud of myself for, for getting it done and focusing and completing it. Dang. What, what is the course called? It's called business planning and launch. (laughs) And launch. Yep. So it's about like startups and entrepreneurship. It just sounds like very intense. Like, yeah. all right, we're going to launch this now. Like, yeah, guys. the third, That's... the third project is an entire business plan. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. So that'll be fun. <laughs> That's a lot. Looking forward to that. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Our schooling is very different. Allison is over here planning businesses and I'm over here like learning verbs. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So what was the it's best rough. part of your week, Liv? Um, okay. So I'm going to be honest. Uh, we're going to keep it real here. I, I had a really hard week. <laughs> so it's not like none of it was good. Okay. I'm not going to say that, but I'm not going to lie. I was like having a hard time trying to find a, a good part of it. If I'm being just totally transparent here, but, um, one of the things that I love, um, which I know we just shared on Instagram, like a little bit more about us recently. And I shared in mind that I love flowers. Like I am obsessed with flowers. My grandma was always like just in love with flowers. She always had flowers all over her house and we used to pick flowers together. And I'm pretty sure that's where that love came from for sure. It's from her. So, um, I was just really excited because I realized that there is, uh, like a tree in our backyard that has all these beautiful purple flowers blooming on it. Um, so that might be kind of something so minuscule, <laughs> like minuscule to most people. But to me, that was like a big deal, but I just have flowers like naturally growing right outside my window. So, um, yeah, the best part about my week was like spring. I'm just yeah. really excited that it's spring. It's the little things in those hard weeks. You got to yeah. find joy in the small things for sure. All right, guys. So we are going to jump right into our topic for today. Um, Like 
I said a little bit earlier, um, it's definitely something we've been wanting to talk about for a while. So we're really excited about this. Um, we did want to give a couple of disclaimers just before we get started. Um, we just kind of wanted to make sure that we say this is more of an adult geared episode. So you might want to exercise discretion if there are children around or children that could run into the room at any time, maybe just save the episode for a time where uh, you're by yourself um, and they might not be an earshot. Uh, we also just wanted to provide a trigger warning. Um, We are going to be talking about um, sexual abuse briefly. We want to talk about that more in depth at a later time in a a future episode because we feel like it is a topic that really should be discussed. However, we are going to briefly mention it here. So we just kind of wanted to put that out there just in case. We did also want to say that this is part one of a three-part series that we're going to be doing. So um, the first one that we're doing today, we're going to talk about uh, the poison of purity culture. Um, And then next time we're going to be kind of talking more about sexual liberalism. So like the opposite side of the spectrum. Um, And then lastly, we're going to be talking about God's design for sex um, and how uh, scripture describes the relationship of intimacy as well. So before we jump into the topic, we think it's really important to explain the definition and to really explain what is purity culture, because I think that it's so important when we have conversations like this to make sure we're defining our terms, because the easiest way to misunderstand each other or to just completely miss each other is if we're talking about two completely different things, Um, but we might really be on the same page. So purity culture is what we have tacked on to the Bible's teachings and its principles for sexual purity. So it's kind of what we have extrapolated from it. Extrapolation is a statistical term that explains when you use a set of data to derive principles and research, and then you apply it to a completely different set of data or a much larger set of data. That's actually an error in statistical research. And I think it's a really great metaphor for what we can tend to do with the Bible. We can tend to take those biblical principles and apply legalistic standards and rules that God didn't set in place. And I think that's really one of our primary qualms with purity culture. Mm -hmm. And Joe Carter wrote an article back in 2019 called The Frequently Asked Questions, What You Should Know About Purity Culture. And he just explains really simply, he says, purity culture is a term often used for the evangelical movement that attempts to promote a biblical view of purity by discouraging dating and promoting virginity before marriage. I think that's a pretty simple definition We will get into more how purity culture tries to promote that biblical view, but I just think it's really important to understand that this was a movement back in the 1990s that emphasized abstinence from sex over many other things as if it was the most important thing. And it's emphasis on purity and sex over a lifestyle of holiness that is devoted to God is really where it falls flat. The purity in speech and in conduct and in other parts of our lives are not really mentioned. But 2 Corinthians 7, 1 tells us that we should cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. And so sex is just a part of that. And so that's really what we want to go over, because right now, millennials and Gen Z are kind of reckoning with a fallout from that because it was a movement in the 1990s and some are even deconstructing their faith and it's causing them to walk away, which is really why we think it's an important topic to talk about right now. 
Yeah, we're going to talk about deconstruction um, in further detail in a later episode because we do also feel like that's a super important topic, uh, especially today. But just for the purposes of this, we're not going to go into super big detail on that either. Um, But don't worry, we will talk about it at some point. So we just kind of wanted to define what purity culture is not as well, because we want to make sure that we're representing a biblical view of sex here um, and what it is truly meant for. So um, we often see that churches take what the Bible says about sex, just saying that it is meant for the covenant of marriage and turning it into um, this like hyper Puritan thought process where they say like, you're not allowed to kiss before you've got rings on, before vows are said, like things like that. Um, Just being super careful about every little thing. And it kind of turns into this legalistic culture surrounded by a good intention, which is the intention for purity. um, But it just turns into legalism. Yeah, I think you can kind of think of it as a compass. So if North is the biblical ethic for sex and marriage, then purity culture has gone East and sexual liberalism has gone West and both are wrong, but just Mm -hmm. in different directions. And they're just going to keep walking around the globe in those East and West directions. And they're never going to end up North, which is where we really want to be because what God wants for us is so much better than the lies of purity culture and the lies of sexual liberalism. And it's sinful when you add to the Bible or when you take away something, because regardless, you're not looking at God's design for sex holistically and communicating it comprehensively. You're, You're trying to add or take what you think is important. So with that said, we do want to go over eight lies from purity culture and then combat them with biblical truth, because it's not enough to just tell someone the lie and tell them not to believe it, but you have to replace it with truth. And so Liv is going to go ahead and just give us our first one. So the first lie that we wanted to talk about regarding purity culture um, is just the basis that sex is bad. I don't know how many of our listeners right now have grown up in church, have grown up in evangelical culture, but as someone who did, I can tell you, we did many purity series. This is all they said. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it was never like, we're going to teach you about what uh, sex was made for. We're going to teach you about how God created it to be a good thing, but the world has distorted it. We're going to, it was never any of that. It wasn't even like, we're going to teach you about, um, you know, the ways that it's gone awry and how to avoid those things. It was literally just like, sex is bad. Don't do it. Right. And I know a lot of people have experienced that, like just in school too, in, you know, sex ed classes and stuff. It's like a lot of it is just them telling you not to do it. Like abstinence, abstinence is key. Like don't, you know what I mean? And again, we do believe that sex is meant to be um, between a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage. However, um, sex is not a bad thing. It's been hammered into our heads often with purity culture that it is a bad thing, um, but we're barely ever taught about the good, holy, pure sex within the covenant of marriage. Um, We're barely ever taught about God's true intention for it. We're only told what not to do, but not what to do or how to view it. Um, So a lot of times this has left so many people with guilt and with fear regarding sex, even after getting married. I've heard so many stories from so many women, especially that they got married and, you know, they were able to like have sex on their honeymoon and everything, 
but they felt so guilty afterwards just because it's constantly hammered into their heads for years that this is a bad thing, like stay away from it. And so they just end up experiencing so much guilt. And that honestly, a lot of times provides such a rift between you and the person that you're married to, because you have to then like start to unravel that and start to work through that um, when it was never supposed to be that way in the first place. Um, So the biblical truth there is that God made sex a good thing. He made it as something that should be enjoyed between two married people and as something that can even be glorifying to him. I know like one of the craziest things that I ever heard when kind of relearning about like sex in a biblical life or a big a biblical life in a biblical light <laughs> yes, um, was that it can actually be glorifying to God. It can be like a form of worship towards God. Um, but yeah, what do you think about that, Allison? Like, have you experienced kind of this teaching in purity culture at all? It is really essential that you mention the pervasiveness of purity culture and legalism in youth group, because those are really formative years for somebody's faith. At least they were for me. I think my teenage years are when I really encountered God, because those are such a tumultuous time in your life. And I even say your your 20s are still pretty tumultuous, but especially (laughs) a time of youth group, because you're a hormonal teenager, you're starting to be interested in people and in dating. And the message that you're hearing when you go to church is that your desire for sex is unhealthy or is problematic. That's really the Mm -hmm. message it sends you. And then you may go to school, which may be secular, or you may be having, you may have friends that don't believe in God and do not follow the Bible's principles. And the message from them seems so much easier that just yeah. do whatever you want, whatever makes you happy, whatever makes you feel good is right. And so what are we really doing when we utilize purity culture as a teaching method for youth? We're really turning them away and pushing them towards something that is really dangerous. Like, I feel like it, it either goes to that end where people end up being pushed away to the opposite end of the spectrum because they're like, oh, well, this is a lot easier and now I can just do whatever I want. Or they do end up kind of going down that path of guilt and shame and like um, any type of sexual desire or thought or anything is like immediately like just guilt and shame. And we, we of course, want to say that we should guard our hearts and we should keep our minds pure. Um, Song of Solomon says that we should not awaken love before it's time. So, um, you know, we're not saying that you should be able to think and do whatever you want and that should be okay. Very much the opposite. However, um, there shouldn't be this shame and guilt attached to sex in its proper context. Um, And that's a lot of times what purity culture ultimately accomplishes. Right. And I think that people will experience that guilt and shame because they are so motivated to please God and to do the right thing ultimately. Which is a good thing. Is a beautiful thing. It can be manipulated and twisted with any kind of legalism, not just purity culture. There's so many different forms of legalism among many other topics. Even in the Bible, you see the legalism the Pharisees had about the Sabbath and the way that Jesus addressed that. If you ever get the chance to read that, that's an amazing passage. But I think that really leads into the second point because people are wanting to please God. And that second lie is that God looks upon you poorly or he frowns upon you if you have broken his law and his ethic for sex and marriage. And purity culture sells the lie that you will never be able to escape the sins of your past. You'll be forever Mm -hmm. haunted by those mistakes in your future relationships 
and in your marriage eventually. And the flip side of that, which is just as dangerous, is that God looks upon you and thinks you're a better person if you haven't. If you haven't had sex before marriage, you haven't made mistakes physically with somebody else. And the truth is that you are fully justified with him and righted in relation to God based on the person and work of Jesus Christ, who never sinned, not even once. It's not you that can earn it. You were born into the world without justification with God. And that's Mm -hmm. the really important key here is that you cannot earn God's favor. You could never do it, not in a million years, because even if you abstain from sex before marriage, your tendency will be towards pride. And that doesn't please God either. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I think we see so often people comparing sins. We'll see someone be like, well, that person, you know, had sex before they're married. They had sex with their boyfriend. So like, I've never done that. You know, I'm, I'm a little bit better. I might have like lied and cheated last week, or I might've stolen sunglasses in the store last week, but that's not as bad as that. So like, I'm fine. Um, and even sometimes we do it subconsciously, you mm-hmm. know, like we're not actively thinking those things on purpose, but they just kind of come up in our heads right. um, as human beings, as selfish people who have a lot of pride and want to be better than other people. Naturally, we just tend to do that when at the end of the day, we all fall short of the glory of God. None of us <laughs> live up to his standard of, per- of perfection or goodness. Um, that's why we need Jesus. That's why we need the gospel. And we need him. He does not need us in any way. We need him more than anything. Um, so I think that's kind of a dangerous thing here too, is that it kind of gives us the ability um, within just the realm of purity. Cause obviously comparing sins applies to so many things. It applies to so many different kinds of lifestyles and um, people doing different things and falling into different types of sins. But I think in purity culture specifically, it's really easy to do that because there's so many things that are made so taboo in the church like, you know, if you like go into a church, I'm just going to say, like, if you go into the church and you start talking about like pornography or you start talking about like the sin of masturbation or something like that, everyone is like, wide eyed, like, <laughs> like, what's going oh on gosh. here? They said the M word. Like, you know what I mean? So it's like, just even if you say those things, it's right. looked at as like shameful. Like, how dare you talk about that? So even just that, it's like, it just puts this, this shame on it. And again, we're not saying those things are right or good, but we should be able to bring them to Jesus. We should be able to bring them to our church body so that we can be held accountable, so that we can be, um, you know, building each other up and helping each other grow, not like shame each other for everything because we're so much better. I would never do that. I wouldn't even talk about that. You know what I mean? And you know, what is the most ironic thing about all of this is that we said earlier, God calls us to holiness and purity in all forms, in all parts of our life, right? And as right. soon as you position yourself mentally over somebody else and think to yourself that you are better or you have measured up more, you're no longer pure in thought. So there's no way to earn that holiness, which is the beauty of the person and work of Jesus. Yeah. Because for those who are in him and who have truly repented, God casts away and forgets their sin due to Jesus's blood and his resurrection. Mm -hmm. So there's a passage in Psalm 103, which is written by David, a man who knew God's grace without measure. If you read about his life, you will see his mistakes. And yet God still called him a man after his own heart. And I really encourage you to read the whole Psalm, but I just have time here to read a part of it, which is uh, verse 11 and 12. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. 
As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. So God's not holding it over your head gleefully, you know, saying, this is what you've done wrong. So why are you doing that to yourself about the sins Mm -hmm. of your past? I think that's a really important rhetorical question for us to ask ourselves why we continue to live in shame and walk in the darkness when that's not what God has called us to, even when we have messed up. Um, Yeah, because the thing is, is like with past sins, while we should never feel proud of them, God has justified us and forgiven those things. He's washed us clean so that we don't have to walk in shame anymore. Um, You know, that's why he sent his son was to bring us to himself so that we might glorify him. Um, And that's such a beautiful thing that we don't have to worry about the things that we've done in the past. We don't have to worry about the things we're going to think tomorrow that are sinful because Jesus has justified all of them. He, his blood covers all of them. So while we do want to strive for holiness, like we don't have to walk in shame or fear anymore. Um, So moving on to lie number three, this one it's a little spicy. Like I said earlier, we're going to get a little spicy. <laughs> I think Liv um, has all the spicy ones, guys. Just I so you I can do. be prepared. Those are the ones she wrote and she is yeah, ready. Yeah, I was about to totally own that. I was about to say, y'all, like I, I wrote these though, because to be <laughs> honest, like this is something that I'm so passionate about. If you can't already tell. <laughs> yeah. Just because these are things that I'm just like, someone has got to say it. Yeah. I'm going to say it. <laughs> and so, and someone has got to be freed from the lies. Yes, someone is out yes, there absolutely. who has been living under them. And if we yep. don't say it, I'm not saying that they'll never find it on their own because God can reach anyone he wants. But of course. why not through us? Yeah, exactly. Like, why why not say it? Um, but yeah, so line number three is that it is only the woman's responsibility to not be a stumbling block or sexual temptation to men. Here's the thing about this one. We want to be careful to represent both sides of things with, with lies like this, because, and I'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more in a second, but I do just want to say, we're not saying women should be able to do whatever they want. Men, that's your responsibility not to look. Yes. We're not saying that. Okay. (laughs) I just want to put that out there, but Purity culture says that it's up to women to make sure that they dress modestly so as not to tempt men around them or make them stumble upon the block of lust. So that's what we're told, okay, all growing up. And to be honest, we don't hear much of them telling men their side of that. A lot of it is just like women make sure that you dress modestly so that men aren't like tempted. But let's talk about modesty for a second. I was just talking about this with my husband recently, actually, that um, modesty is not a sexual issue. It's actually a moral issue. If we look at scripture, um, it's it doesn't really state that godly women are to dress modestly because fill in the blank. Like it doesn't say you're supposed to dress modestly because you don't want men to stumble, because you don't want them to sin as they look at you. Like, that's not what it says. It simply states that women who fear the Lord are to dress modestly. So this is not like a, a sexual issue necessarily. Like, I mean, it is in some ways, but it's not just at the root of it. At the root of it, it really is, where is your heart in this? When you choose to put on a skimpy shirt or a skirt that you know is pretty short, 
Like, why are you doing that? <laughs> where, where is your heart in that? You know? And again, I'm not saying it's all the women's responsibility, but I'm not all, I'm also not saying it's not the woman's responsibility. Right. You know, and we are also, <laughs> we are also not saying that we have never been guilty of this in our lives before, because I know that I okay. have, I've worn things For that sure. I'm not proud of. I look back and I'm like, why, why did I wear that? So oh, yeah. please know it's you're not being, pictures. you're not being condemned because we have been there and yes. will be there. And that's life. Yes, for sure. Especially being married to, it's hard because you're like, oh, I want to wear this like for my husband, but you're going out right. in public. Exactly. <laughs> so it's yeah. Like, it's, it's hard. It's a hard line to figure out. And it's definitely something that I feel like we need to pray for conviction over just individually um, and for the Lord to give us discernment on that 100%. Because each woman's body is different also. So it's like True. something that one person could wear and it would look like totally modest, might not look modest on someone else. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, so there is also that. It's very much like an individual thing. However, just at the end of the day, dressing modestly is really like, where is your heart? Like, what are you desiring when you dress a certain way? And who are you aiming to please? Like, are you aiming to please the Lord when you get dressed in the morning or when you get dressed to go out with your girlfriends or when you get dressed to go on a date? Like, who are you aiming to please in that moment? Not that you shouldn't want, like, you know, to please your husband with what you wear and things like that, but just ultimately above all else, are you aiming to please the Lord in that? So going off of that, um, we did just want to read a couple of verses um, that pertain to this subject, just about women dressing modestly and aiming to um, live a life of holiness and purity um, in the Lord above all else. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to read uh, 1 Timothy 2, 9 through 10, which says, Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls and costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. And Proverbs 31 verse 30 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And then we're going to read uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Um, which says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And honestly, that one pertains to men and women. Like That's definitely for both. And First Peter 3, verse 3 through 4 says, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be a hidden be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. I love those. Those are awesome. Yes. Yeah. So basically kind of going off of that and going into more the, the men's side of things, men should also be held responsible for entertaining sexual thoughts towards a woman, no matter how she's dressed. And again, I know that that is a controversial thing because Women really, we do have the responsibility to dress modestly and to do so because we want to honor the Lord with our bodies. However, not all women are going to do that. They're just not, you know, like not all women are out here trying to please the Lord, trying to live a pure and holy life. Not all women have the enjoying of the Holy Spirit for those who are not believers. And so in that, men are still responsible 
for entertaining any sexual thoughts, for entertaining any lust towards a woman, despite what she's wearing. Um, and we're not, we're not necessarily talking about like the fact that guilt and shame should be put towards this or that if a man or a woman has like a fleeting thought or something like that, that that's a, like a terrible thing. Cause a lot of those things are natural, you know, they're natural inclinations as a human. We're talking about entertaining those, those thoughts, um, entertaining those desires or, um, those fantasies or things like that. Like we're talking about dwelling on these things. We're talking about not putting those thoughts to death. Second Corinthians 10, five, um, talks about taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ. So this is important for both men and women for sure. Um, but in this context specifically, um, for men, we're talking about the fact that, um, you know, no matter how a woman is dressed, if you do have those thoughts or if they do come up, it is your responsibility to take those thoughts captive and to put them to death, to make them obedient to Christ. And if the phrase taking a thought captive kind of feels a little bit vague and hard to understand, there's a really cool metaphor that I heard the other day at church on Sunday. And the pastor was preaching on the passage from Genesis where Cain kills Abel and God confronts Cain about it. And before Cain kills Abel, God asks him, you know, where is your heart? You know, what is going on in your mind right now? And let me just read a quick verse from there. This is after Cain's offering to the Lord did not please the Lord. And the Lord asked Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is to is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And the pastor said that sin is right side right outside your door and you're holding the key. And with mm. that key, you can either lock it up or you can open the door and you can just invite that sin straight in. And I think that's a really amazing metaphor for all types of sins. So whether it's anger or lust, that verse in Second Corinthians is really pointing to that ability for you to just shut the door or to let it in and that you have, you have the power through the Holy Spirit to take that thought captive, to shut it in its cage and leave it and throw yeah. away the key. Yeah, for sure. Something that me and my husband talk about frequently is just the fact that sometimes you literally just have to verbally say like, no, like you're like, you know, like if you start and this could be about any type of thought, like we're not just talking about like something sexual, like you could just be thinking something that you know is a lie. Like you just know it's a lie. It's like something that comes into your brain and you just immediately feel fearful or anxious or sad or, you know, just something that you do not need to dwell on. Like it's not, you know, What's that verse that tells us? I know it's in Timothy. I can't remember if it's first or second Timothy, but it's the one that talks about like dwell on these things, like whatever is oh, good, whatever yes. is pure. You know, like if you have a thought that does not line up with those mm-hmm. things, it doesn't line up with what scripture tells us to dwell on. You can just immediately say like, no. And sometimes you might need to physically distract yourself. You might need to yeah get up from the couch or turn whatever it is off, put away your phone, whatever it might be in that moment to just walk away. Um, you're referring to Philippians four, eight, which says finally brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things and you can walk away from whatever that lies or whatever that thought is, or put it away, orient your heart towards something that is one of those things or all of those things, whether that's 
quite literally in the moment picking up your Bible or listening to a Christian song or a worship song that turns your attention towards something else. Right. Yeah, for sure. Why did I think it was first or second? <laughs> I, I don't, always do that. Because there's a like lot of wisdom. <laughs> because there's so much wisdom in all of those books. And this you know, sometimes true. they can run together. <laughs> that leads us to our fourth lie from purity culture. And this is one that this is one that really bothers me. So I'm very excited to talk about this one and hopefully tear it apart. You are <laughs> incomplete and broken like a cookie that has been bitten into if you have had sex before marriage. If you have sinned sexually, even so much as lusted after someone else, then you will have less to offer your spouse when you get married. And there'll be nothing special about sex between you and your spouse. This one bothers me so much, especially with that stupid cookie metaphor. The idea that you have less to offer or that you can't be a complete and whole person if you've sinned because... Here's the thing is that that's completely contrary to the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is that Jesus makes you whole and makes you complete. You can do that without the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And the other thing that's really frustrating about this particular message is that if you are someone that has had violence perpetrated against you or you Mm -hmm. had your consent taken from you, then this message condemns you to nothing based on somebody else's sin, something that was outside of your control, something that was very dark and hurtful to you. And it completely cheapens sex into something almost like a commodity, as if you're a baked good and you're not a whole person with the soul and feelings. It's it's really a ridiculous message. And it's so damaging. Even if you were consenting to something and you made a mistake, you were a teenager, or there was a situation you found yourself in that was wrong. It is so damaging and frustrating for me to hear this type of message told in youth groups or to people that are that are really struggling because it doesn't offer any type of healing if for you sure. have sinned or if you have been sinned against. Yeah, 100%. Especially if it's in a situation where you did not consent to it and it's something you were literally physically forced into, especially in those contexts. And that happens to a lot of people and a lot of people that go to church. It's so opposite of the message of the gospel. And it kind of goes back to like comparing sins again, because it's like, you could say that about anything. Like if you've lied too bad, like you're not a whole cookie anymore. Like, (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And like I said, it really cheapens sex because the fact that sex is such a contentious thing to talk about, and also Mm -hmm. the fact that if you have been sinned against sexually, it sticks with you and it takes a very long time to heal from, sometimes a lifetime to heal from. And it takes away the weight and the beauty of what sex is to make it something small and simple. Exactly. And then like adding something like this on top of it just makes it a hundred times worse. Like I've heard stories over and over again of people that um, have some type of sexual trauma in their past. Um, You know, they've been raped, they've been abused, et cetera. Um, And they come to church and they hear this message Mm -hmm. and it just honestly turns them away because they're like, oh, well, like, you know, these people don't want me. 
you know, like these people are telling me that like, I'm wrong, even though like, I didn't even choose that. Like, cause a response that is so common with those things is it's my fault. Yes. That happens. So we're even like, some people are even told that to their face, like, well, you were dressed a certain way. What were you wearing for it? Yeah. You're even told that anyways. And so then to come to a place where redemption should be talked about, like redemption should be literally told to you, like, Hey, no matter what's happened to you, no matter what you've done, no matter what, um, you know, you haven't done, but what's happened to you, like what's been done to you, like there is redemption for that, you know, no matter what it is, instead of being told that you're just told like, well, you're not whole anymore. Right. Liv. And it doesn't just turn you away, but what does it turn you to? What are you Mm -hmm. going to find comfort in instead? Not the gospel. Yeah. Um, Unless through God's grace, there's someone in your life or there's a miraculous event in your life in which you encounter it outside the church, which would be beautiful. But where does it turn you to? Sexual liberalism. It's like the only other place for people to go. (laughs) Right? Yeah. No, especially in that context. Yes. And it's like, it's so sad because obviously we know like God is going to save who he's going to save. And you know, no matter what happens in your life, like God is going to be able to over override that, overcome that because he's God. But that could have been a moment where like you're used, you know, where the church is used, the church body is used and church leadership, whoever's talking is used to like bring that message of redemption to you. And they just like wasted it. And the, uh, I'm going to get to the second piece of why this lie frustrates me so much is that it almost, it almost denies original sin. It doesn't yeah. mean to, but it does because it's telling you that it, it was a sexual sin that broke you, right? That that was yeah, what disqualified true. you from presence with God or relationship with God. But the truth is, I guess let's just run with the baked goods metaphor. If you were a cookie, you were broken anyway. You were broken long before that sin. Right. We are described in Ephesians as children of wrath. Ephesians, you could use Ephesians to combat probably the whole purity culture phenomenon because sure. Ephesians 2 says in the first few verses that we were dead in our trespasses, that we followed this world, we followed the prince of the power of the air. We lived in disobedience. We all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's who we are before we're saved. And the author, Paul, there, he doesn't say that because of sexual sin, you were dead in your trespasses. You were just unworthy in so many ways, in so many capacities, and by so many sins. And it tells you, again, not that we're comparing sins, that we're trying to take away the weight of sexual sin and how how truly damaging it is and longstanding it it can be, but that you were just disqualified a long, long time ago. And the last piece that I did want to mention about this lie that you will have less to offer to your spouse or that your sex with your spouse will be less special is this is also a lie because Hebrews 13, four says that your marriage is clothed in honor. So it says that 
merit, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. And again, Ephesians can jump in in here as well. This is the most amazing part is that your marriage is actually a metaphor for God and for us. So this passage in Ephesians 5, I would really encourage anyone who's listening to read the whole chapter in its context, because these few verses we could probably spend a lifetime talking about, but I'm just going to cross over a couple. And it says, wives, submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit everything to their husbands. And the next few verses goes over how husbands also are on the flip side of that, and they should love their wives as Christ loved the church. And so I continue, I would, I would read more, but just for the sake of time, your marriage is actually a metaphor for God and for our relationship with him. And how cool is that, that even if you have sinned or if you have been sinned against, that your marriage can still be a metaphor. It's not like if you've made mistakes in your past or someone has sinned against you, that you lose that, that you can't represent God with your marriage because the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't say if you've sinned, then you can't be a representation for for God in the church. So the next lie from purity culture is number five that we wanted to talk about is Um, the lie that it should not be difficult to abstain from sex before marriage. Just don't do it. Uh, This one's bad. This one makes me so mad. Okay. Just because it's like we, they don't even like talk about it because the biblical truth there is that God has created us as sexual beings. So there's many verses that we could pull from the Bible, um, specifically from song Solomon, don't know if you've heard of it. Um, but honestly, like just read the whole thing. Like, <laughs> Just read the entire book. Like you could just pull the entire book um, just to kind of talk about the right view of sex, like what sex is supposed to be between a man and a woman. And also just like how it reflects uh, the relationship between Jesus and his bride. Like his bride is the church. So we see Lots of talk about what sex is supposed to be in scripture. A lot of it is in Song of Solomon, but we also see a lot of talk about sexual sin within the Bible. Um, So this is something that humans have struggled with literally since the fall of man. So there's, there's a lot more to it than just don't do it, period. Because we it's mentioned in the Bible, like all throughout the Old Testament, especially just many of the times where people were sexually immoral, where cities literally fell because of sexual immorality that was happening within them, like Sodom and Gomorrah, for example. Like we just see that so often in scripture. So there's definitely a lot more to it than that. Honestly, and, and this is this might sound a little harsh, but if we're being honest and we're basing everything off of scripture, the Bible states that if we are struggling sexually in a relationship, we are either to flee from temptation or get married. This may sound harsh, <laughs> but if we look at scripture, these really are the options. Um, in 2 Timothy 2.22 says, flee from Uh, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And second Corinthians seven, seven through nine says, I wish that all of you were as I am. This is Paul talking, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift. Another has that now to the unmarried and the widows. I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. 
but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, I'm not telling you that if you're dating someone, you're nowhere near ready for marriage, but you're struggling, then you should get married. <laughs> right. That's not what we're trying to say here. The, what we're trying to say is that on, like, on the extreme ends of things, you really do need to either flee from temptation or kind of channel that desire in the way that it was meant to be used. I can't remember who it was, but I remember just someone, there was like a book that I was reading or a conference I was listening to. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was basically just someone talking about the power of, you know, what sexual intimacy really is. And it is such a powerful thing. It's such a strong desire in humans, which really is not a bad thing. That's how God created us to be. However, because it's such a strong force, it needs to have barriers. Like if you see anything else in all of creation that is like a very strong force, if it doesn't have any kind of barriers, it goes crazy and it damages a lot of things. If you see natural disasters, for instance, like that's a good example because those don't really have barriers. It's like, there's a house in the way, house is gone. Like, you know what I mean? Like it, they don't really have those barriers there. So if you have a very strong, powerful force and it doesn't have anything to contain it in the right way, it's just going to go crazy and cause a ton of damage. And he was talking about how sex is like that, where it is a very strong force. It's a very strong desire and it is a good desire at its core. But if it goes crazy with no types of boundaries or rules, it's going to cause a lot of damage. Whereas marriage, the covenant of marriage was created to contain that in the way that it's meant to be contained and used and enjoyed. One distinction I also want to make is to just go back quickly to something you were saying uh, a few minutes ago when you're talking about the options that are presented and there may be someone that needs to hear this, that if you are not with the right person in your relationship, that based on the options that are in scripture, if you know that person's not right for you and that is not the person you're meant to be married to and be partners with for the rest of your life, that your only other option is to flee that relationship. Because truly, when you are at that point where you have admitted to yourself that that person's not right for you for whatever reason, maybe you are not right for them. Maybe they are not right for you. Maybe there are other sin, there is other sin in the relationship that needs to be dealt with and that both of you need to heal from or repent from to the extent that, you know, that person is not right for you. Your only other option is to flee. And that might be really hard and that might be really challenging, but that we have to be honest with ourselves. And that, yeah. that can be really hard, but I even had a relationship like that where I knew that it just wasn't right. And so what was what was the point in being in the relationship longer? None. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, the thing is, is that as a relationship grows, um, you begin to grow more intimate, both spiritually and mentally with your partner. So as that grows and as you begin to know each other more and you become more intimate in those areas, the physical is going to just naturally want to follow that. That's just what is going to happen. Um, and in that, you know, if it is someone that you know, you know, you want to spend the rest of your life with, um, you want to partner with, you've prayed about it, you've sought wise counsel, you know that 
um, start, you know, heading in that direction, start having those conversations about that so that you don't have to be in this in between, which may eventually cause you to fall into sin. Um, and again, like Allison was saying, it might be so, so hard, but if you know that that person is not who God has called you to be with, if you have heard from various people that you trust and that, you know, truly love the Lord and have a good spiritual foundation. And they're telling you this person is not good person, you know, is bad news kind of thing. Like, and you know that you're supposed to kind of cut that off, then flee from temptation. Cause as it grows, it's only going to get more difficult for sure. And also that it wouldn't necessarily be fair to that person either to continue in a relationship right. with them. When you deep in your heart, you know, it's over and that you've kind of grieved that mm-hmm. we're not necessarily telling you right now to go break up with people. That's not, that's not, what we're trying to communicate, what we are trying to communicate is to be faithful to your own time and faithful to their time. Because when you are the one who is doing, initiating a breakup, you have grieved already because you have reached the point where you're, you know, the relationship needs to be over. And as long as you prolong the relationship, you will prolong the initiation of their grief and the process they will need to go through to also let go of the relationship. And you're denying them that. Yeah, for sure. I think we're basically overall just trying to say, seek the Lord, Yes, have discernment on these things. Don't avoid them. Don't pretend they don't exist. So the sixth lie from purity culture is that after you get married, sex and marriage will be easy peasy. All you have to do is get past that hump. So pretty much the message is that something that was dark and dangerous and terrible and scary and should be, you should stay away from magically once the rings are on and once you have said the vow that turns into something beautiful and holy and amazing and glorious and what kind of message does that send because it tells you inadvertently maybe not on purpose but through that message that once you're married you will never again lust you'll never struggle with temptation and you'll never wish your circumstances were different or that you'll never have moments of like discontentment with who you're married to And the truth is that we're always a work in progress. That's the doctrine of sanctification, that we continually become more like Christ through the Holy Spirit every single day that we walk out our faith. Mm -hmm. And really what this does is is it puts so much pressure on marriage and the wedding. It makes marriage the end all and the be all, the culmination of life. And Mm -hmm. that God, God never promises perfection in our earthly marriages But this mindset puts our worth and our identity in a marriage. And the truth is also that God never promises us that we'll get married. And so it really sends this message that marriage is the end all be all. Like once you just get past that, everything will be fine. And there's no advice given. There's no guideline. There's just no help for after you get married or who do you reach out to? The purity, purity culture ends there. Purity culture has no road or if you think of it as a path, there's no stone past marriage. It's just a yeah open field and you're kind of wondering what direction do you go next? So going into lie from purity culture, number seven, the second to last one, um, is that lust is only something that men deal with. Yes. So I'm not saying that every church does this. It's kind of more of like an inadvertent impression that only men struggle with lust because they don't really talk about women struggling with any type of lust. It's just like, this is a man thing. Because men are visual creatures, 
So men struggle with lust. Like I remember just hearing that so many times growing up in the church. Um, even when they would talk about like when they would dare to talk about like pornography or anything like that, it was like, but we're just talking to the men here. Like we're talking to the men about this because it's a man problem, but that's not really true. Women struggle with lust as well. They struggle with pornography addiction sometimes or other sexual sins, just like men do. Um, I actually looked at quite a few studies when I was kind of looking into this information just to get a little bit more background on it. And a lot of studies that I saw stated that uh, 20% of women in committed relationships are addicted to or regularly watch porn. And this is only out of women. Yeah, this is only out of women who are willing to come forward. Like think of how many women were probably like, I would never admit to that ever. A lot of times I think that's, that's definitely something that's more pertaining to Christian women. Cause I do feel like in the more like sexual liberalism type culture, there's almost like a praise towards pornography. Like it's becoming something that's like a good thing and a normal thing and something that should be accepted. And so we're not really talking about that in this context. We're talking about like within the church in purity culture where um, it's just not really talked about in per- like pertaining to women. Um, I do just want to say this doesn't downplay um, the struggle with lust that any man, you know, might experience or that men might have within the church. Um, of course, it's just that the suppression um, and the inability to acknowledge and provide accountability for these things actually add to the struggle rather than helping to solve it. Because you're just basically promoting keeping it a secret and not bringing it to the light. Right. Um, scripture calls all of God's people to true purity and true holiness. So this isn't based on gender. This isn't based on if you're a man or a woman. Sexual purity is something that we are all called to as believers. And it's not distinguished between men and women in the Bible. It's not like, yeah, men are called to be pure over, you know, the sin of lust in their lives. And women are just called to modesty. Like sexual purity is something that we're all called to. Um, And that's part of the reason why, you know, we all as believers have the Holy Spirit indwelling within us so that, um, you know, we can truly have the power to overcome. Um, But we need each other in that. We need the support and accountability of our fellow sisters and brothers in Christ um, to help overcome that temptation. So we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need discernment. We need wisdom. Um, we need the strength of the Lord, but we also need each other. We need each other to build each other up and to help each other. And that's why I just feel like these things really do need to be acknowledged because when they're not, it just causes people to hide them. And then they're never really resolved or someone's constantly trying to resolve them on their own because they're not brought to light because they're scared of the shame that they're going to experience and the judgment that they're going to experience when the church is supposed to be the place that those things can be brought to the open so that we can help each other be accountable. And the amazing thing about bringing those things to light is that it really destroys the double standards that purity culture has attempted to create. It's almost like their own yeah. little kingdom of double standards. So it's women need to dress modestly, but it never addresses that men should also be modest and probably shouldn't be maybe posting shirtless selfies on Instagram preening, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, then it goes both ways and that it destroys the the double standard that only men experience lust and that women, right. that doesn't even happen. So if you're a woman right. that happens to you, you're, you're unnatural. That's a problem. You know, you're, it, it gives this message that you're 
that you're different or there's something more wrong with you than is wrong with everyone else that all, which is that we're all sinful. I think that it's really powerful against those double standards. This brings us to our eighth and final lie from purity culture for our episode today. And it's another one similar to the seventh one that we just went over where it's not necessarily something that purity culture purposely says, but that it implies or communicates by failing to address something. And this is really a big one and something that we felt was really important to talk about. And by failing to talk about this, it really communicates a lack of compassion and care for people that may struggle with this. And it's the lie that sexual sin outside the context of heterosexual relationships doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And by failing to talk about those things, purity culture provides no space to deal with or to walk through homosexual, asexual, or transgender struggles with a mentor who loves the Lord and loves you and wants the best for you. Because I don't know about you, Liv, but times that I've heard other people who have struggled with purity culture or when I've witnessed it myself, there's just never any allocation of time to talk about these things or to let people struggle through them in a really honest and faithful way. And again, this comes back to, I think, a huge reason why people are just deconstructing their faith and walking away from the Lord because they have no other guideline or frame of reference to address these issues in their lives. And the damage that it causes can happen in an instant, but it will last for a lifetime. Well, yeah, we see it all the time, especially, especially with people who um, experience homosexual desires um, or like asexual, like you were talking about, or transgender um, struggles, all of those things they end up finding a home way more with the LGBTQ plus community rather than the church because they're just told this is wrong and that's all. And they find comfort in the arms of a God who doesn't exist. The God of sexual liberalism, the God that will provide no relief, the God that will lead you to a darkness that you've, I feel like from my, what I've witnessed in people's lives is unlike any other It gives no real freedom except for earthly pleasure. Yeah. And I have witnessed in lives around me the damage that purity culture has done that you never get to talk about because where have you heard somebody come up to their pastor, their youth pastor, and say, I'm really struggling with the fact that I have no desire for sex. I don't think I'll ever want it. I don't want to be married. And that intimacy with someone scares me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no room for that there's no time dedicated just to walking through something as unique and as troubling as that and as long as we continue to fail to address those issues and allow those topics to have light people will live in the darkness and the damage that purity culture has caused is truly heartbreaking because like we've said so many times over this episode god created sex to be good And the world and also sadly many churches have distorted this in a number of different ways. But really what we want to leave you with is a little bit of guidance and some encouragement that this has been a pretty heavy episode and we really want to leave you with something practical to move forward with because there may have been times throughout this episode either where you felt convicted or you've been reminded of something that maybe has happened to you. And we would just really want to provide some next steps. So really, what can we do when we experience shame or guilt or fear or misunderstanding from the influences and the messages of purity culture? 
The first one is read your Bible. See for yourself what God's plan is and pray for him to reveal his holy word to you. Because even the passages that we've mentioned throughout this episode, we'd really encourage you to go back and even read the full chapters or read the full books and really experience the full context. Uh, Psalm 119 verse 9 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. That's really the heart of it all. That the word of the Lord is what's going to protect you and help you create boundaries for yourself that you know are right. And it will help mm-hmm. you guide you back to where you need to be going. And second, don't do it alone. Seek godly counsel. Talk to someone who can help you to start to unravel these feelings and this misunderstandings. And if you feel like there's no one in your life who can do that, the first place that you really need to start is a church. You can find a pastor who truly is the shepherd of the flock and cares about you and cares about the trajectory of your life. So talk with someone who is familiar with God's word. And if you don't know someone, find someone. The Lord has given us the church body as a gift. We are meant to live in community with each other and not to hide behind our doubts and our shame just so that we can maintain an image. We are not perfect and everybody knows it and that your courage can possibly cause someone else to step forward with something they're struggling with as well. Yeah. And I do want to say, um, I do think, you know, some of these things might just sound like the typical church answer, like read your Bible, talk to someone, talk to a pastor, but you guys like the word of God is living. The word of God is powerful. It's the answer to so many ailments in this life. Like we're not directing you to something that is, you know, an old history book that has no meaning nowadays and has no relevancy to your life now. Like, yeah, we're, we're aware that there are specific issues that are not necessarily mentioned in scripture. However, usually, or not usually always, (laughs) there's something else in there that pertains to every issue that you're going to face in this life. Like in scripture, we see the character that we are being made into through sanctification. We see what we are supposed to strive for as believers. We see the things that we are supposed to think about, the ways we are supposed to act, the things we are called to do as believers. And these all pertain to every issue that we can have in this life. And if you just kind of feel like you're not like finding what you're looking for, pray that the Holy Spirit would open your eyes that you would, that it would be revealed to you what the Lord is saying in his word. Um, study it, you know, <laughs> like actually study it. Don't just read it, like study it, meditate on it, um, seek teaching and counsel from someone wiser, someone older, someone more seasoned in their faith. Um, and just kind of building on that in general and just seeking out godly counsel. Um, you know, this could be a pastor. This could be a mentor in your life. This could be someone related to you. I talked to my mom and my husband about everything. <laughs> so this could be, you know, someone who you just know has more um, knowledge than you do and who, you know, has maturity in their faith. Um, if you feel like this goes beyond the scope of just typical, you know, advice or even just someone who knows scripture really well, like find a Christian counselor, find a Christian therapist, like someone who can, who is trained to also help you kind of work through things. Um, You know, we talked a little bit about like having things done to you or just 
having a lot of guilt or shame pent up, built up over these things, um, find someone that can help you unravel those things, can help you cope with them, can help you move on from them, but also from a biblical perspective and point you back to the Lord um, at the same time. Um, And I would say, you know, if you just do not have that person in your life, um, you know, begin to pray that God will bring them for sure into your life, that God will bring a mentor, someone to help guide you and disciple you. Um, But also there are so many resources out there, um, you know, that go along with scripture from people who have studied this. Um, who have been Christians for many years, who have written books and written resources to kind of help educate you on that as well. So we'll look for some of those and put them in our notes from this episode as well. Just if you guys want to check that out, Um, if you want to look for something that you can kind of read up on this subject to kind of help you begin to work those things out as well. Exactly. And we will make sure to also include the scriptures that we referenced so you can go in and find them, dig deep, go right in for yourself and find what the word of God says. So that is all the time that we have today. We want to thank you so much for joining us on this pretty weighty episode. We know that hasn't been easy and there may be steps that you need to take after that, but we just want to encourage you to walk in that light and to walk with the Lord through those next steps in your life, whatever those may be. We are so excited to move into the next part of our series, which will be on sexual liberalism. That will be part two of our series that will come out next week. So we just want to encourage you to join us for that and also to join us for the episode after that, which will be on sexual faithfulness according to the scriptures. Thank you so much for joining us today, and we will see you next time.